Chapter 27 of A Broken Bond. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jeff Blanchard. A Broken Bond by Nicholas Carter. An Astounding Statement. James Stone's questions, both uttered and unexpressed, were not to be answered just then. A sudden swerve of the car made Follensby look out of the window. The machine had turned into Amsterdam Avenue, and a few moments later had come to a halt before the physician's door. A ragged, shuffling figure, that of a hollow-cheeked young man, was passing at the moment. The young fellow, apparently a homeless vagrant, or worse, paused as the car drew up to the curb, then darted forward and opened the door. Dr. Follensby muttered something under his breath, seemingly derogatory to the volunteer, and he and Stone crossed the pavement and vanished through the doorway while the car went on up the street. Apparently disgusted by his bad luck in not obtaining a tip, the disreputable-looking young man crossed the street and disappeared into the shadows of an areaway, which primitive lodging place seemed to be his choice for the night. Meanwhile, Follensby had unlocked the door with his latch-key, switched on the lights in the hall and office, and motioned his companion to enter the latter. The light shone brightly on the former minor owner's face, and the doctor was almost startled by the change in it. The hard, sour, brooding expression that had so characterised the tanned features had vanished now, and in its place was a very sane anxiety coupled with shocked recollection. James Stone was plainly suffering in a way that few men are called upon to suffer. Now, he said at once, refusing the preferred chair, Tell me what you mean. Even his voice had subtly changed. It was still deep, but the hoarseness had gone from it, and it had taken on a little of the mellowness of Crawford's own. Follensby advanced to his desk and dropped into a chair. Won't you sit down, he repeated, with perfect self-possession. It's rather a long story. No, no, I would rather stand, Stone replied pressing his hand to his brow. I feel dazed and sick. I feel as though a great gap had come into my life, and that I was only returning to the world again after a long absence. He stared down at Fawnsby with anguished eyes. Everything, or nearly everything, is misty, he went on, but I know that I came to you on the recommendation of young Dr. Floyd down in Brazil. He sent me to you to get help for my trouble, but, but somehow, instead of that, we hatched a devilish plot to murder the best friend I have in the world, Wynne Crawford. In heaven's name, what's to be done? What do you mean just now when you said I had come to my senses? I have come to them, I hope, but if it's too late to help Wynne, I would have been far better off as I was. If he dies now, I shall kill myself. I could not bear to live knowing that I had murdered him. You don't know, nobody knows, how much he has meant to me. Tell me, man, what you meant. Is there, is there any hope? His terrible anxiety was pathetic to see, but it seemed to have no effect on Stephen Follensby. The latter looked on as if he were witnessing a play, and as soon as Stone paused, his cold voice cut like a knife through the silence. For a considerable period, Mr. Stone, several months, I understand 
your mind has been seriously affected in certain respects, he said. Perhaps I should say that it has been affected in one particular respect. A few days ago you came to me and seemed to jump to the conclusion that I was the arch-fiend himself, or something little better. If you had have been sane, I would have thrown you out of the house for your insults. As it was, I listened to you and led you on until you made an extraordinary proposal. Nothing less than that I should help you to put your partner out of the way. Frankly, I came very near to using the telephone then and there and having you placed in custody. I wish now you had, Stone burst out. He was laboring under the greatest excitement and remorse, but he was obviously as sane as he had ever been in his life. I did not do so, however, Follensby went on, ignoring the interruption, for I saw that your trouble was monomania, serious enough in itself, but leaving you sane in all other ways. I diagnosed it also as a mere temporary derangement, and I did not feel justified in submitting you to the ordeal of publicity or committing you to an asylum. Go on, be quick about it. What did you do? For heaven's sake, tell me the whole thing at once. Follensby slipped his hand into the inside breast pocket of his coat and drew out a little leather case. I simply played a professional trick on you, Mr. Stone, he declared quietly. It's true that the drug in the vial was a powerful narcotic, and at this very moment I have no doubt that your friend is still under the influence of it. As he spoke, he opened the case and took out the syringe. But this, he went on, tapping the instrument, was charged with nothing more harmful than pure glycerin. Is that true? the miner demanded, striding forward and towering above the diminutive specialist. If it is... I can easily convince you that it is, Follensby assured him. He unfastened his cufflink and pulled up his cuff revealing a lean yellow forearm. Watch, he said. End of chapter 27